Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Joe Brickman to the show. Joe has the responsibility for the development and execution of strategic direction and programs at Virtue Lab. With the organization since 2010, she translated her previous decade of experience leading sustainable design at ZGF Architects into the creation of a collaborative research program focused on the sustainable built environment and then expanding into the set of services offered to cleantech startups. Joe's current focus as deputy director is on Virtue Lab's organizational excellence, partnering with Virtue Lab's executive director in essential internal firm leadership activities. In addition, Joe leads the organization's efforts for impact measurement and management, ensuring that Virtue Lab programs and supported companies are designed and managed to achieve ambitious triple bottom line impact targets. Joe? How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks, Raj. Joe, where in the world are you? I'm talking to you today from Mount Tabor, which is in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it's a, an extinct volcano. That's pretty amazing. And how's the weather <laughs> up there? Uh, it's been amazing lately. We've been really benefiting from um, a warm spring, uh, warmer than we can typically count on. Feel okay enjoying that, knowing that we've got a, a greater than usual snowpack going in the mountains right now. So yeah, it's been it's been and really lovely. How are you doing in the middle of this pandemic? Oh, I think my greatest concerns um, are not for myself. <laughs> I feel safe. I feel healthy. My loved ones are safe and healthy. I feel very fortunate. Um, I'm really concerned about the companies that we support and, and other small businesses across the country and around the world that don't have the kind of resilience to a crisis like this. Um, I'm concerned about all the people that those small companies employ. <laughs> I share your concerns. And, you know, we've been donating to local food banks here and trying to do what we can to and looking for more organizations, especially locally, where we can, you know, donate, whether it be money or food. Time right now is obviously restricted to, but I'm kind of hoping as this unwinds, there becomes more avenues or conduits to actually reach out to help people because I feel like there's going to be a lot of that needed after this. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this, if, if nothing else, this crisis has really revealed how vulnerable we are and our, our systems, how poorly designed they are to handle crises like this. You're absolutely right. I'm really hopeful that that the amount of energy, that, that we will actively sustain that energy to ensure that, that, we, that we build new levels of resilience. Absolutely. So Joe, switching gears a little bit, I'd like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? It's a tough question because there's lots of different layers to it. Um, um, I, I think something that's interesting about me from a career standpoint is that that my that my path to what I'm doing now has been far from linear. <laughs> I, um, I studied in environmental studies in college, um, and I, I thought that uh, upon graduating 
from from college that I was going to follow in my family's uh, footsteps and become a rancher, be a fourth generation cattle rancher. But life sends you lots of different ways, right? Um, and I had studied uh, sustainable agriculture as the focus of my studies, and followed a sort of winding path. And I think that the thread that has tied everything together is this idea that everything is connected and that there are so many different ways that we as humans connect with and impact uh, the environment and each other. And um, I just knew that I wanted to do something that would be beneficial to the world. And I tried a number of different ways of doing that. Um, I wouldn't do it any other way. I, I, whenever I'm interviewing for uh, somebody to hire, I'm always fascinated by the people who who also have have tried lots of different things and um, and where I can see a thread tying those different things together because I, I feel like that diversity of experience um, speaks a lot to somebody's character. I agree with you. There was a great book that came out, I think, last year. It's called Range. And it speaks to the strength of generalists. And although I believe that, obviously, if you're doing something like, you know, becoming a physician or an attorney or an engineer, there's something that comes in specializing. But I also believe that having a wide range or, you know, perhaps being a polymath or a generalist brings with it its own set of strengths. And I tell people sometimes it pays to take the scenic route. So I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, there's a lot of adaptability in being open to learning about different things and, and to a certain extent being a generalist. But I, for me in my, my last position prior to being at Virtue Lab, um, I was working, uh, leading the sustainable design team at an architecture firm. And I think a lot of what that generalist perspective and sort of the systems thinking that I that I bring to things really brought was this I wasn't limited to uh, insights from one field um, when when thinking about designing a building um, was tying you know bringing in synergistic uh, solutions from from entirely different fields and that's one of the things that keeps me most interested about our work is the variety that's in it. Well, I think it ties back to your signature in your email, constantly exploring, which I really like. <laughs> that's actually uh, our, our brand activation manager's um, brilliance in action right there. Um, our, our organization is all about exploration and finding those solutions that, that are just beyond the edge, right? We have to explore and trailblaze. And, and so she's she's helping us um, highlight that a bit more. So glad you noticed. I like that. Well, since you mentioned Virtue Lab, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor? Absolutely. So um, for the past decade, I've been part of Virtue Lab, um, which is a nonprofit that is fighting climate change by providing funding and holistic entrepreneurial support to clean tech startups. Over that time of 
10 years, we've proven that that model that we have where we combine the funding with the holistic entrepreneurial support is, is particularly effective and powerful in accelerating innovative climate solutions. And that, and that those climate solutions are going to be really critical to reversing the climate crisis. So how many companies would you say you've seen in the past 10 years? Um, we have provided funding and support to 60 companies. Um, so that's our portfolio. Beyond that, though, we've, we've assisted many others with grant writing support, um, mentorship, networking connections. And so that's, that is in the hundreds. And... I know it's hard to pick favorites, so I'm not going to ask about company favorites, but have you seen any technologies that you've just been wowed by? I, I love so many of our companies, and so I'm glad you're not asking me to play favorites. Um, I think the thread that ties together the, the companies that inspire me the most are the people, um, the, the, the entrepreneurs that are super resourceful individuals um, who are always looking for the, the thing that's going to give them that edge and um, looking for creative, creative new supports. Uh, they tend to be the ones that, that make best use of what we're able to offer them. And um, the other piece is um, the companies that draw inspiration from nature um, or use the biomimicry. I don't know if you're familiar with biomimicry or not, but um, it's this notion that there's uh, billions of years of wisdom to be found in, in nature and um, that those that those solutions we can learn from and uh, apply to make things or processes uh, work better for us. Um, so we have a handful of companies that we've supported over the years that are, have biomimicry at the core, and uh, I, I really appreciate those a lot. So I am familiar with biomimicry, and I published an episode a couple of weeks ago, an interview that I had with a young lady, 24, college student, and she is creating a wind turbine slash windmill, but she's using cuttlefish as her inspiration. Mm. I'm not sure if you know what a cuttlefish is, but it undulates in the water, and so she's using that undulation to capture wind energy. That's kind of like squid, right? Cuttlefish? Yes, exactly right. Squid, octopus, exactly right. And so she was daydreaming one day in biology class is her story. And she was thinking about, you know, different ways because apparently people in her neighborhood or her part of the world were saying that, you know, wind turbines are unsightly and the cost. And so she came up with a new way to capture wind, wind energy and she leaned on biomimicry for that. Yeah, that's, I just love that. Um, and, you know, we've got a, a company that borrowed from the, the physics of the surface of a uh, insect's eye to to reduce the amount of reflectivity from sun, so that um, solar panels could collect more of the available UV rays. Um, we have a company who's uh, got a um, hydroelectric. Uh, system where the where the the pump essentially that drives the hydroelectric system is um, inspired by the way that seaweed moves in turbulent waters. And that I just sounds really this, interesting. Yeah, I just for some reason those really capture me a lot. I feel like there's so much more 
that we can be learning. Um, and it speaks to being awake to and searching for that connection we we do have with, with the planet that we that we live on. That is amazing. So Joe, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you're doing. You know, we talked about your scenic route to get to where you are right now. There's so much more you could be doing, and there's an opportunity cost for you to be at the Virtue Lab and investing your time and energy there. So what's your why? What drives you to stay there and to continue on this work? I love this question. Um, it was a very conscious decision to step away from corporate world. Um, I think I think it comes down to that sense of interconnectedness I referred to earlier. And um, the, the thing that's tied to that is the sense of responsibility. Um, what I choose to do doesn't just impact me. Um, and I have an opportunity to do the right thing. Um, and uh, I, I'm very fortunate. I, I don't feel like I've made a great sacrifice to be here, honestly. I think the thing that I stepped away from was a lot of the, the stress of the urgency of the corporate world um, and stepping into the urgency of this problem that we're solving because I'm driven by meaning. And if something's going to be urgent, it's got to be urgent for a reason, right? Um, a, an arbitrary deadline is not of interest to me. Um, and I, I know that a lot, many times the deadlines are driven by, by, by real needs in the world and um, not discounting that, but I did, it feel, felt arbitrary fair amount of the time. And I also wanted to be able to have a, a well-rounded life. I find that um, balance was going to be needed. And I, I really wanted to connect to my local community more. Um, I was working in a national to a certain extent, international scale and doing a fair amount of travel and had young kids. And I was watching the impact on them and observing the impact that that in turn had on me and realized that it wasn't something that I wanted to, to try to sustain. And so um, at that same time that I really came to that realization, this position became open and it just felt perfectly crafted for, for me and the fact that we've had these evolutions as an organization over the past 10 years, it doesn't feel like it's been one job and that's been great for me. I really love change and evolution. Um, I think also in my, in my previous role, I was observing what happens when innovative solutions to the technical problems that you're facing. Um, and in my case, it was designing and construction, constructing buildings. Um, but it, it, there's no innovative new solution coming in. We get stuck. And there's this really convenient excuse that, that doing the right thing will cost more or not get to the same results or what have you. Um, but when you are in a solution-oriented mindset, um, that can be very frustrating to constantly come up against those barriers. And I found myself more inspired by those opportunities that, that 
made themselves available to me to explore and and participate in the development of those new solutions and you know collaborating with faculty at universities on testing out new ideas and materials and um that's why this this new role that i took on um was really exciting to me because then I got the opportunity to be in that space all the time. Like people who were really creative um, in a different way than architects, uh, creative in the sense of they have this deeply technical um, knowledge and skill set, um, and with partnership and collaboration with people who understood the problem really deeply, they could get to these really interesting solutions that were truly novel. And, um, you know, I think I had enough insight from my own professional experience to know the barriers ahead to having that solution actually get implemented. Um, and I felt like I could be an effective advisor to those teams. And that's kind of what got me onto that path. Um, and I really have not looked back. I, I, I really don't feel like it's been much of a sacrifice at all. Um, to work for a mission-driven organization, to feel that there's a, a great deal of meaning in the work that I do, um, that it's all been quite worth it. Um, I think the only downside is that, you know, we're trying to do something that's really, really difficult. And I think that a lot of the other people that you've interviewed for your podcast are probably in a similar boat where um, you can spend decades feeling like Cassandra and, um, you know, working at something that's just really difficult that people may not be hearing or that just may take a long time to get traction. Um, and there are days when that feels very defeating and other days when it feels like, Oh, this is, this is really clicking. Um, the, the, the dominoes are starting to fall. And, um, you know, I just, I, I have to work towards and, and remain hopeful for those days when things because they do. I really appreciate your reference of Cassandra. For those that aren't aware, would you care to share the myth of Cassandra? Oh, goodness. <laughs> you may be able to do a better job than I can, Raj. Um, my, uh, my, my sort of sad understanding, you could clip this if you've got a better definition. <laughs> um, my understanding of the story is that um, Cassandra was cursed to... Uh, to spend the remainder of her life um, not being believed uh, when when trying to, oh gosh, I can't even remember what it was she was trying to convey, Raj. Do you remember the more so of the story? My understanding, my understanding is that Cassandra was able to see the future, yes. but no one believed her. And I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, you mentioned the other people that I've interviewed, and I feel like we're all, you know, arm in arm, walking up this hill mountain together mm-hmm. and you know part of this reason I'm doing this podcast is to highlight individuals like yourself and the others spotlight them and the hard work they're doing because I feel like many a time people see the headlines they believe don't believe but when they hear the stories of the individuals such as yourself and you know you sharing your why you mentioned the word meaning twice and mission they really get to understand that the nuances of the individual I think they then to relate not only to the mission but also to the person too so i really appreciate you sharing your why thank you yeah i mean i i feel like 
uh, your your image is really compelling of the arm in arm group. Um, and I feel like so many of the wonderful people that I've met in the architectural field, engineering, science, innovation, entrepreneurship, we are all of a like in a certain way, right? Um, and I, I always think back to this poem. Are you familiar with the poem To Be of Use by Marge Piercy? I don't know, honestly. I read so much, sometimes I forget who writes. Um, well, it's it's long. I don't need to read through the whole thing. Uh, I was just looking it up now because you made me think of it. Um, I, it, it you, as you were talking, I was thinking about this poem because it's one of my favorites. And Her name is Marge Piercy. And mm-hmm. um, the, the poem is To Be of Use. And uh, it's one where... Um, it just keeps coming up, and any time that someone I admire does something remarkable, um, if I haven't already sent this poem to them, I often do, because um, to me, it just describes um, these, these people who are, um, that will launch into something difficult with abandon, um, and they're my best best and favorite people, the ones that are willing to take on risk for the benefit of everything else. And um, I think that is the nature of this work. I love that. And it reminds me of a quote by John Muir, one of my favorites. And it says, when one tugs at a single thing in nature, he finds it attached to the rest of the world. That's one of my favorite quotes as well. I'm glad to hear you quote it. It's, it's so, so true. So one of the questions I like to ask my guest is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? I, I know that you ask this question of people, so I actually did give it some thought. And um, I, I think the advice that I would give is that life is abundant. Um, and getting stuck in a mentality of scarcity. Um, creates fear and um, can lead us to hoard (laughs) as we're seeing with toilet paper and other necessary supplies during the coronavirus uh, pandemic um, that, that the sense that life and resources are scarce causes us to behave very differently. It really counters the generosity with which nature really acts. Um, and this is a fundamental tenet of biomimicry thinking. And um, I think that this has lots of corollaries to the work that we do at Virtue Lab. Um, you know, being in existence as a nonprofit is, is an innately generous act. Um, but I think that there are certain choices that, that we're making as an organization that um, that exemplify the sort of concept within biomimicry that um, life creates conditions that are conducive to life. And um, by creating this, the, our climate impact fund, the way that we have um, the, the investments that we make in very promising climate solutions at an early stage, when 
know if if any, <laughs> you know, sorry, investing in companies at an early stage when very few, if any, uh, investors are willing to come in um, and support and and make their innovations possible by going there and making that that early investment. Um, we are enabling this company to to see the change uh, in the world that that they are are trying to make. Um, when there is uh, an exit or other financial return, that goes back into the fund, and we're able to support future companies. Um, and there's a number of different ways that we gain the capital that's necessary to make those investments. Um, some of some of these can be through uh, through a foundation or donor advised funds, you know, individuals, um, philanthropic donation. There, so you know, a donor could get the could get the returns from the investment to go back into their donor advised funds so that they could reinvest the funds, um, or or the uh, depending on how we set it up, um, it could go that way, or or the the returns could go back to the Virtue Lab Climate Impact Fund for reinvesting in future companies. Um, and so this sort of cycle of generosity and, um, and life uh, is, is a really key part of, of what we're doing. And I think the other thing that, that the scarcity mentality can lead us to do is to, is that hoarding piece where um, we are, are, are kind of get a little bit more closed minded, um, get uh, afraid of taking risks afraid of extending resources and we can very easily slip into old patterns, um, outdated patterns. Um, and this is where the issues of, um, implicit bias and racism come into play in the investment industry. And fortunately there's been a lot more attention paid in the last handful of years to the role of, race and gender in the venture capital industry and um, we are being very deliberate in our approach to having an equity lens for our investing um, and doing so in concert with our emphasis on creating climate solutions um, and there's a number of different reasons for that um, you know, from a from a venture capitalist perspective, it just makes sense to not turn your back on sixty plus percent of the population that happens to be not white male, and so you're you're increasing the pool of of concepts and and amazing ventures that that you can benefit from. Um, so, from a self serving perspective, we're just increasing our pipeline by a significant amount. Um, but I think more, more fundamentally. Um, is this recognition that the people who are disproportionately impacted by the impacts of climate change are the people that need to also benefit from the solutions to climate change. By benefit, I mean not just seeing fewer climate change impacts, um, but also being able to create intergenerational wealth, for example, and um, to be able to create jobs in their communities and many other level, layers of this. So it's something that we're um, very moved to act swiftly and deliberately on. Um, we also have to 
balance that with acting carefully um, so that we are listening to the communities that we're trying to serve and um, ensuring that we really are um, not creating more problems in the process of, of being um, and trying to be more inclusive. Um, and so we're really excited about uh, this, this next phase where, um, where we're seeking more input from the people of color and women in, in the clean tech industry, and making sure that, that we're really meeting their needs and, um, and that we're here for them and that they know that we exist and, um, and that we have this lens through which that we're viewing, viewing our investment role. So I appreciate the advice of moving from scarcity to abundance. Can you speak a little to your DEI initiatives? So at Virtue Lab, um, we are um, really delving into the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our work. As investors, we are aware of the very um, homogeneous and um, white culture, dominant culture view um, of the industry that we're in. And um, we have an opportunity as, as trailblazers in, in, in the space of using catalytic capital for clean tech investing and, and holistic support. Um, but we have this opportunity from this place to also impact the world of investing with respect to being inclusive and creating opportunities, equitable opportunities for, for the people who, who reach us are seeking our support. I appreciate that. And this has been a great conversation. Is there anything that we have not explored that you'd like to talk about before we go? I guess the, the last thing I would say is that um, regardless of what industry you're in or what role you play, there are things that you can do to improve the way that um, that the systems within which we work function. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joan. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you reaching out. It's been a great deal of fun chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. And if you want to show your support and help us grow, please share with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle.